Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. Believe it or not, the days of political ads for all those statewide propositions are over for now. All seven of those races have been called. Today, we're breaking down how California voted on all seven statewide propositions, everything from abortion rights to sports gambling to dialysis. Again, stay with us. Well, Guy, we're talking on Thursday, and this will air on Friday. How do we know the results of these propositions, but not some other races in the state? Yeah, that's a great question, because if you look county by county, there's still so many ballots left to be counted. Guy Marzarati is a reporter and producer for KQED's Politics and Government Desk. Some counties are saying they're only about halfway done counting ballots. So how do we still have definitive results One reason, I mean, these are pretty wide margins when you look at the margins of the seven propositions. But the big reason for us is because KQED, we rely on the Associated Press to call statewide races. The AP, they analyze the number of ballots that are cast. They look at early voting, past voting trends. They do exit polls. And so they have all that information and then they declare a winner. They only declare a winner when they've basically determined there's no scenario in which the candidate or campaign that's behind has a chance to catch up. And the AP has called the result in all seven state propositions. I want to talk about each of the propositions and sort of the results of them. First, let's start with Prop 1, which would add reproductive freedom to the state constitution. It looks like that was a big and pretty expected win for the yes side, no? That's right. It was a big win um, and a lot of people voting yes. As of Thursday morning, over three and a half million votes for Proposition 1. It was the most yes votes so far of any proposition. And I think, look, on paper, this idea of adding reproductive rights to the state constitution, it's not going to change the lives of Californians tomorrow. But I think this is a case where the politics kind of transcends the policy. Given the 
reversal of Roe v. Wade, given the rollback of rights we've seen all across the country. I think it was so important for so many Californians to have their voice heard in support of abortion rights. And I think that's what you're seeing in these results. So pretty early in the night uh, on Tuesday, we you know heard from supporters of Proposition 1, obviously thrilled at the results. One of those was State Senate pro tem Tony Atkins. She actually wrote Proposition 1, got it onto the ballot. Today, we sent a loud, clear message to those who think they can control our bodies and eliminate our rights. And it's a message that will reverberate throughout this nation. In California, we will not go backwards. Governor Gavin Newsom was also at that Prop 1 party. He won re-election on Tuesday night, but he didn't even have his own event. He went to the Yes on Prop 1 party. I think it's no accident state politicians, leading Democrats in California, were celebrating Prop 1. All year, it's been just a galvanizing issue for them, for Democrats. It's why the legislature voted to make sure this was called Prop 1 and make sure that it would appear first on the ballot, because this is an issue that the party really rallied around in California and saw as a way to bring out voters. Let's move on to Propositions 26 and 27, which we're going to take together because they both would have legalized sports betting in sort of different but super complicated ways. What do we know about those ones? They are both headed to defeat, not just defeat, landslide, defeat. Proposition 26 would have legalized in-person betting. Prop 27 was about uh, betting on mobile or computers. and it didn't seem like Californians really had any appetite for either, despite such an expensive campaign. Right. I mean, there was an unprecedented amount of money spent on these propositions, Prop 27 especially, right? And that one seems in particular to have gone down pretty bad. Yeah, there's a huge margin against Prop 27 right now. And you're right, gambling companies who have expanded sports betting across the country in recent years, they spent over a hundred, basically $170 million in order to get Prop 27 passed here in California because there's such a large market potentially uh, if sports betting is legalized here. Gambling companies saw that opportunity, you know, FanDuel, DraftKings, but they never were able to kind of put together a winning coalition here. And that money, of course, comes in the form, at least on voters' end, in ads that we'll see, we see on TV and that we saw on, uh, on television throughout the course of uh, the election. So what happened? You know, I think first there was really not a constituency in support of legalizing sports betting, right? There's folks who might like to bet on sports, but is that enough to inspire someone to go vote. There's not that like core constituency that these campaigns could rely on to support the mm -hmm. measure. So they ended up trying to talk about something other than sports betting. Here at City of Refuge, we house up to 26 families. We reduce homelessness, address mental health, provide... In the case of Prop 27, that was the idea of using some of the revenue and earmarking it for homeless services. Prop 27 will provide permanent funding for organizations like ours. Saying yes... But I think a lot of voters saw through that. They realized that really these measures about legalizing sports betting, the homelessness funding was kind of a smaller piece of that. I think a second uh, thing we have to take into account is the fact that California's Native American tribes who 
opposed Proposition 27. They supported Prop 26. They've really had unrivaled success at the ballot box for decades in California. California tribes overwhelmingly oppose Proposition 27. Only a few tribes support 27, while over 50 tribes oppose Prop 27. Please stand with California's Indian tribes. Vote no. And so their opposition to Prop 27 was huge, and I think it resonated with voters. And I also think the supporters of Prop 27, they knew this coming in. It's why they tried to get a few tribes on their side supporting Prop 27. I think in the end, voters saw that the vast majority of tribes who were weighing in on this issue were against Prop 27. And finally, just the confusion. I mean, you mentioned the amount of ads that we saw on this issue. In many cases, as in this one, voters see all these ads with different messages around a single prop or two props. And if they're confused, I think there's a greater likelihood voters just say, OK, I'm, I'm, I can't get on board with this. What reactions have you heard um, or did you hear on election night from some of the people involved in the Prop 26 and 27 campaigns? So what I heard from, you know, opponents of Prop 27 was largely relief that Prop 27 had failed. I I think that's the right call that Californians have made up and down the state. Uh, They're rejecting these out-of-state corporations. I talked to Chairman Reed Milanovich uh, with the Ago Caliente tribe in the Coachella Valley. He supported Prop 26. He was against Proposition 27. And honestly, he almost talked about the failure of 26, almost like collateral damage. The real Hmm. emphasis, the real focus of the spending of the campaign was defeating Prop 27. At the beginning, 26 was looking very strong. And unfortunately, what 27 did, once those 27 ads started running, I think it caused a lot of voter confusion. And I I think, as, as we all know, when there's voter confusion, the the default is, is to vote no. But I know myself and, and there's plenty of other tribes would would really like to thank the voters of California for rejecting 27. I, I think that that's more important than, than anything. What does this mean ultimately for sports gambling in California? Is this effort basically dead now? You know, I don't think it's dead. I think there's too much money at stake for really all the different factors involved, these gambling companies, even tribal governments, to just let this go away. And we're seeing more and more states over the since 2018 when the Supreme Court opened up uh, legalization of sports betting. We're seeing more and more states adopt this. I do think eventually it will happen in California. But how is the big question? Coming up, how California voted on arts funding in schools, dialysis, climate change, and flavored tobacco. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. 
They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Let's move on now, Guy, to Proposition 28, which gives more arts funding for schools. One thing I remember from this proposition was that it it didn't really have any real opposition to it, and it seems like it passed pretty smooth, right? Yeah, the results you're seeing is what it looks like when you don't have any opposition. It was smooth sailing, <laughs> and I think it makes sense, right? This was more funding for arts education, something a lot of people can you know, get behind and support without any new taxes. It was basically just saying, we're going to carve out some of the money that already exists, and we're going to earmark it for arts education. And so there's some who might bemoan the idea of, oh, you're locking away funding for a specific purpose. But as long as this is not coming with a new tax, which it's not, I think that pretty much set the stage for this to pass with flying colors. How are folks uh, in support of Prop 28 feeling about it getting passed? I think they're really excited. I mean, the estimates were that this could add up to roughly a billion dollars for arts education. It's something that supporters said too often goes ignored or is maybe the first place to cut during lean budget times. Teachers like Andrew Wilkie in Richmond, who, you know, expressed a lot of hope for what this would do for his students. I mean, it could, it could do a lot and it, and it certainly should do a lot um, as it's a pretty, you know, it's a good chunk of money. And um, we've been doing so much with so little. Um, hopefully having more to work with would a make our jobs a little more manageable and also allow more access to music education for kids, especially in communities like ours that are not as well resourced financially. Well, let's move on now, Guy, to probably the most confusing proposition for me when I was voting, Prop 29, which Californians have voted on for the third time. Uh, This is the dialysis proposition, which I feel like everyone I know is actually still pretty confused about. What was that again? Yeah, so this was new regulations for kidney dialysis clinics, part of this long-running battle between the union, SCIU, United Healthcare Workers West, and then dialysis clinics. There's been, you know, pushes to unionize there. It would have required dialysis clinics to have on-site physicians. It would have added some requirements to to send info to state health officials and then ultimately get state sign-off if, you know, these clinics wanted to close. Um, but yes, for a third time, uh, third straight election, it failed. We, you know, I joked months ago, this was like Godfather three. No one wanted this back on the ballot. No one, no one needed a, a third run. But here we were. And yet again, California voters have rejected this. And is that because of what you talked about in sort of the case of props 26 and 27, which is that when voters are confused, uh, they tend to not vote for a proposition. Is that what happened here? There could be some of that. There was a more of a spending imbalance in this one. The opponents of this greatly outspent supporters of Prop 29. It also could be voters signaling like, why do we 
keep needing to say again and again that we are not for these ideas because I think this is one of those issues that's so complicated. I mean, even just this one measure has so many different facets to it when it comes to dialysis regulations that for an average voter, it's a lot to have to weigh in on. And I think perhaps this is yet again another signal of like, figure this out and stop bringing it back to us. Well, let's move on to probably the most surprising defeat, which was of Prop 30, a tax increase on high-income earners to pay for green infrastructure. Remind us the details of that one. Yeah, so this would have raised taxes on income Californians make over $2 million and then put that money aside just to pay for EV chargers, firefighter staffing. And this was one that was initially put on the ballot by environmental groups. It looked to have a lot of support early on, but it hasn't in the end gotten that support at the polls. Okay, so despite most Democrats and environmental groups being for Proposition 30 and the fact that California is sort of leading on the issue, this one seemed to have failed. What happened here? I'll give two big reasons. Number one, Governor Gavin Newsom got involved. Prop 30 is a Trojan horse that puts corporate welfare above the fiscal welfare of our entire state. He became the face of the no campaign. And I think his popularity in the state definitely contributed to the defeat. It sent a signal to voters that the governor, who has you know been a leader on environmental issues, if he's not for it, hmm, maybe like there's something more to this here. Mm. The second was the, the opponents of Prop 30 really made lift the face of the yes campaign. It wasn't environmentalists. It wasn't, you know, folks wanting to prevent uh, wildfires or wanting transitioning to electric vehicles. It was Lyft. It was this company that was using this ballot measure to meet their own mandate from the state that they move towards more of an electric vehicle fleet. And I think having that company as the face of the campaign was was kind of an easy thing for voters to rally against. I mean, I, I remember seeing a lot of ads of Governor Gavin Newsom coming out against this and, and calling this a giveaway to Lyft. But do we have a clear sense of why Newsom went against most of his usual allies on a proposition like this? Yeah, I think what makes most sense to me is kind of a confluence of factors. I think one, as a governor not wanting a constrained budget, this would have you know, taken this new tax money and set it aside for a very specific purpose. And that kind of ballot box budgeting is, you know, something governors, you know, might not be on board with, especially as there's a potential we move towards tougher economic times. A second is maybe just not wanting to get behind any kind of tax increase. We know about, you know, Newsom's potential national ambitions, getting behind a tax increase on the ballot might not be a good look in that sense. Then there's the ties with the California Teachers Association. We know they're a top supporter of Newsom. They do not want any potential tax dollars getting locked away from education. So I think adding up all of those factors, I can't give you like a breakdown of percentage. This uh, meant this much or this contributed this much. But I think taking all of those together kind of helps paint a picture of why the governor ultimately came out against this. Let's move on now, Guy, to the last proposition, Prop 31, uh, which one flavored tobacco is now banned in California. What happened there? 
Yeah, so this was a referendum that the industry groups uh, got on the ballot after the state legislature had passed this ban on flavored tobacco. So the voters agreed with the legislature. They supported uh, this ban. 62% are currently uh, in support of Prop 31. But I would look at this measure a little bit differently than the others. It was a referendum. It was a challenge to a current law. And I think you saw a lot of the tobacco companies use this as a way to kind of delay the law going into effect. Once you qualify a referendum, that stops the enforcement of the law. So basically, companies like R.J. Reynolds, Philip Morris, they bought themselves two years of profits just by getting this on the ballot. Once it was on the ballot, they didn't spend a whole lot. The supporters of Prop 31 definitely outspent the opponents once the campaign started. But I do think, you know, for many of these tobacco companies, it penciled out. They were able to delay this. They were able to take in two years of profits. And then now the law will go into effect. But I think this is something to watch, Erica. Like, do more and more companies take this tactic? Do they look at the at laws that have been passed by a progressive legislature and say, you know what, let's at least qualify the signatures, let's pay for that, and then we can just delay the implementation of the law. We can adjust our business models going forward, win or lose on the ballot. Let's just get it on the ballot and kind of be able to rake in the profits in the meantime. Just to sort of wrap this up, Guy, I mean, what do all these results and the results for other statewide races show about the direction that California's headed? Yeah, I think, you know, there's with such a variety of uh, issues in these state propositions and so many very complicated issues, it's kind of hard to draw one general direction based on these results. One thing I can take from this is the fact that just money alone in a campaign is not enough to win over California voters. I think you need money plus somewhat of a convincing message. There was a lot of conversation after our last election in 2020 when Prop 22 passed, and this was a way to exempt companies like Uber and Lyft from state labor law. And a lot of conversation that, you know, it was a record spending in that camp campaign. They're able to basically, you know, buy themselves out of, out of state labor laws, what a lot of critics said. And I think you look at a lot of the spending in this year's campaign, and it doesn't fit so neatly. The sports betting shattered all the records in terms of uh, Proposition 27, and that's headed to uh, an incredibly large defeat. So I think it's it's both having the money, but also having somewhat of a message that can resonate with voters. Well, um, Guy, I feel like I'm always wishing you and the rest of the politics team good sleeps, but for real this time, I really hope you get good sleep this weekend. Thank you so much, Erica. I appreciate it. That was Guy Marzarati, a reporter and producer for KQED's Politics and Government Desk. Thanks to Julia McAvoy for some of the tape that you heard in this episode. This 28-minute conversation with Guy was cut down and edited by senior editor Alan Montecilio. Maria Askinka is our producer. She scored this one and added all the tape. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Have a great weekend. Peace. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night. 
knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.